I'm Jeff Gibson. And I am Shanna Paxton. And we are the, the Movie, Movie Lovers. Lovers. Welcome. Hello. To the official podcast of the Gibson Review. In every episode, we start off with the Week in Review, what movies and TV shows we've been watching since the last episode. Move on to the main event, uh, which is either a main review or topic of discussion, then finish up with film faves. Our 12 favorite movies around a particular topic. Usually, that is two separate lists for each of us, one one for each of us. In this case, it will be a joint list of our favorite witch movies. That is to go along with our main event review, which is Zoe Lister-Jones, The Craft Legacy. Go, Zoe! Whoop, whoop! Now, this may feel a little bit Halloweeny. We are recording actually right now on Halloween Day. Happy Samween and Feliz Dia de los Muertos. Very good. I am so sorry if I butchered that. Happy Day of the Dead. Very good. Uh, of course, this is over 10 days after uh, the Halloween. And so, apologies if it feels a little Halloweeny on this episode. That actually, I would try to avoid knowing what the schedule is going to be. Try to avoid something too Halloweeny, but there, it was just like this is what the release schedule was, man. And it was hard to hard to figure out something better honey, or whatever. Honey, honey, America loves Halloween. It's going to be fun. <laughs> well. For some people, there I know. There are the hardcore cool fans. It'll okay. be a little weird after Halloween. It's, anyway. It's going to be okay. Uh, moving on, let's get on into the show with the week in review. First off, Shanna, <laughs> continuing that spirit, you wanted to talk about something that you have been watching all of? Is that right? You've been binging all of them on Disney Plus? Yeah, so... On Disney Plus, they have this lovely little feature in their banner section uh, or header section where they've taken all the Simpsons Halloween episodes. It's called the Simpsons Treehouse of Horror episodes. And they have, uh, for those who don't know, the Simpsons after season one, when season two began, every season they would have an episode for Halloween. So... You know, I think they're on 32 seasons now, so it's like 31 episodes. And it was really interesting being able to go and watch all of those. And what I did was I watched them backwards because, you know, I missed out on like 15 seasons, the latest seasons. And so it was really interesting seeing how they started the Simpsons episode, the the beginning of Treehouse of Horror, definitely to me feels scarier and then the middle of treehouse of horror episodes are kind of hit or miss with scare level you're talking about the structure of each episode how it'll have a, a one segment a middle segment and another segment and you're saying the first segment is scariest is that is that no what you're i'm saying? saying the first third of halloween episodes that they did okay i'll just in it. the 30 plus years like the first 10 years yeah okay so the first third mm-hmm. of episodes they produced were definitely scarier to me. Uh. And then the middle third of episodes they produced, it just depended. Sometimes it was scary. Sometimes it wasn't at all. Mm. And then the last third seems to have a lot of clockwork orange going on. Really? You know, <laughs> like not too scary, but 
because you know that movie makes me sick to my stomach Mm. um, for various reasons and it was interesting seeing how they evolved it because like you just said a second ago they have three mini episodes within each episode but that's not the case for one or two of the episodes of that season there's one episode where it's just it's just one story mm-hmm. and then there's another episode where something else happens so my favorite episode is from season six because it has the shining in it and or they say the shinning because they don't want to get sued oh is so, it really yeah, oh it's really great huh. um and so my brother and i our first exposure to the shining was through the simpsons and i actually prefer that because it made the shining just a little less scary oh so i i i love a lot of these episodes uh, yeah. but there are it's hit or miss yeah yeah. And at this point, who knows if that banner for convenience will still be available since it's after yeah. Halloween. But The Simpsons, certainly. All of them? All the seasons? I'm pretty sure all the seasons are up there. I don't know about a new season. Like okay. I don't know what's happening there. Sure, sure. But that can all be found on Disney+. Plus. I watched a movie. I actually got to watch several movies and research uh, for a piece that I wrote up at thegibsonreview.com that is the Universal Classic Monsters a review. Feel free to check that out for all my thoughts on the original Universal Classic Monster movies. But what I wanted to speak to here is a Borat subsequent movie film, which of course is the sequel I didn't even know was happening about oh, to... 2006's Borat. Yeah, no, I mean, I think in recent past couple weeks, maybe I've heard that, oh, he was in our city, Olympia, and he did a thing or whatever. But, like, really, I didn't know that he was venturing to make a a Borat movie. So this kind of snuck up out of the blue for me. In this film, so as it turns out, Borat's been in prison all this time since the last movie because of the shame that that film brought to his country of Kazakhstan. They give him one more chance, essentially, kind of, sort of, uh, to go on a mission to try to help the country make it with the big boys, I guess, in its in its positioning of power and and so to present a gift to i think mike pence the vice president if i'm not mistaken okay Um, and so he does and the idea was he was supposed to present this monkey to mike pence who is their number one porn star and comedian in the country apparently oh no uh but what ends up happening well something happens and instead his daughter who is 17 ends up being the object of gifting and his daughter is played brilliantly i think her name is maria bakalova she's brand new and she is awesome and hilarious in this movie now here's the thing though brat the original film that movie served as kind of a in a very conservative time in our country, kind of a peeking under the rug a little and exposing what seemed like little pockets of hate and prejudice and really bad things in our country. The thing is, since then, those ugly parts of society have been emboldened 
and have come out and have been plain to see for the next for the past several years. And so it leads me to wonder like what is it that Sasha Baron Cohen is trying to show us this time around that we're not already fully aware of, ashamed of and, and, and you know can't can't already see. And I'm not really sure that it really amounts to much in terms of satire, but there are a lot of superficial pleasures and hilarity. I mean, there's moments in this movie that I was laughing out loud at just, just like, I can't believe what I'm seeing or whatever kind of thing. In particular, those who've seen it know what I'm referencing when I say the baby doctor scene. Uh, let's see, there's at the near the end, there's the running of the American and then there's uh, another segment, I can't remember it off the top of my head, but there's like three or four really hilarious moments in this. But um, I don't think this film will have the cultural relevance of the original or the cultural impact of the original necessarily. It, doesn't, it just doesn't necessarily lead up to saying much, you know, or being a commentary on much, just kind of like, punching at the things that we see day to day already, if that makes sense. So I give um, Barrett's subsequent movie film, I think a six out of 10 for the enjoyment that you can get out of it, but don't, don't expect to get much more than a few laughs out of it. So uh, that's what I've been watching. That's my week in review. Let's move on to our week in review, which Shannon, we have a few things to run through really quickly here. First of all is Sofia Coppola's latest movie, which was in consideration for a main event of one of these episodes, but uh, we decided to just, uh, just speak to it for a few minutes. On the Rocks is what it's called. It stars Rashida Jones and Bill Murray principally, essentially Rashida Jones and thinks that her husband, played by one of the Wayans brothers, uh, Marlon Wayans, I think, if I remember correctly, might be cheating on her. And as a matter of fact, her father, played by Bill Murray, is even more suspicious that he might be cheating on her than she is. She wants to kind of brush it off as not like really a big deal or that it, it, it's um, not really how it seems and stuff. Shanna, we've seen, I know, I know I've seen every single Sofia Coppola film. Uh, have you? Um, perhaps. You haven't seen Somewhere, <laughs> have you? No. Okay, so that might be the one movie you haven't seen. Because you've seen uh, Marie Antoinette and Lost in Translation and Virgin Suicides. And of course, we talked about The Beguiled a couple of years ago. We, I think that was a main event review. Yeah. Uh, what did you think of On the Rocks, considering everything else you've seen of hers? Well, you are completely forgetting about another star of the show, and that is the Thermomix. <laughs> so I will just go ahead and talk about that. <laughs> it's a machine that does everything practically except fry and toast and pop popcorn. And my mother and I are massive fans of the Thermomix, and... I lost my shit when I saw it appear in the movie. So, it's not a big thing in America. If it is... No, it's not. If it is, please, please reach out to me. <laughs> and we can, we can TMX binge and 
you know, talk about things. Anyway, the actual movie I quite enjoyed. I love the cinematography. Uh, nothing too crazy, but just really pleasing to the eye. I love Bill Murray. I love Rashida Jones and Marlon Wayans. He's great. So I enjoyed who was in the film. It was quite an interesting one because, you know, whenever someone's cheating or possibly cheating in a movie, I completely, you know, begin to hate that character. Yes, you were quite <laughs> judgmental get, yes, quite quickly. Yes, I do become very judgmental and that's okay. Is so. it? Okay. <laughs> So, um, I mean, we don't want to spoil the movie or anything. No, no, we don't. But. but this is quite a lovely movie to watch. It's a nice father-daughter relationship trying to connect mm. with each other. Mm. The father realizing, you know, he's getting older. He needs to make this stronger effort to mm. connect with her. And there's some really cute moments where, you know, he's talking about the time the time I realized you were an actual person, which, you know, many parents and caregivers can relate to, right? Because, you know, kiddos start out as babies. We're not really sure what their personality is going to be like. So just really sweet things happen in this movie, you know, in contrast to the fear of being cheated on. Yeah, no, I agree. It's it's probably Coppola's most fun and accessible film. I think a big part of that is because of Murray. Murray Bill Murray is a huge, a huge element of this movie, and I think without him, his what he brings to the table, which isn't as morose as uh, or dour as like in Lost Translation, this he's he's having more fun here, right? He's a he's a much more uh, charming character here. Without him, like, the movie just doesn't work. It's not nearly as interesting or engaging. I think what's also interesting about the movie is it kind of questions hypocrisy. Um, <laughs> because between between sexes, because there's literally a character who says, oh, well, if it's a female who has an affair, she's found something. She's, like, revitalized and praised. But mm-hmm. if a man has an affair, he's judged and is a horrible person and i found that to be really interesting you know as as much as it does go into it i don't know that it goes too far into it in the film but the fact that it at least raises the question i think is interesting i think it's great that they're making space for that it also questions male dna or mentality as well you have you do have two male counterpoints in this film that I won't go into details, but it does raise this issue of are men animals or are, are is that not necessarily true? Is that an archaic way of thinking? So I, I enjoy the film for bringing This is like mid-range Coppola, though. This is not one of her greatest works or anything like that. It is probably the one that more people are going to enjoy than some of her other stuff because there is there is a pep to it. There's a, there is some enjoyment to be had. So I give the film a 7 out of 10. What about you, Shanna? Yeah, I mean, I'll just hop onto that 7 and do one of those too. Okay, yeah. very good. <laughs> so right. uh, that is on Apple Plus, by the way. Next, we watched Kajillionaire by Miranda July. This film stars Richard Jenkins, Evan Rachel Wood, Gina Rodriguez and one Deborah Wiener, who apparently in recent whoop, years whoop. has come out of retirement. For th- this movie, I don't know exactly, but uh, 
this movie essentially is about a family of con artists who take in a new person and what what happens when that outside influence disrupts their dynamic and stuff. Mm -hmm. This is my first Miranda July film. As I understand it, she's done three full feature films. The one that's most praised and talked about is Me and You and Everyone We Know, I think it's called. I've never seen that, nor have I seen The Future from 2011. Uh, She is a a fairly well-regarded director based on those two features alone from what I've seen and read and everything. But it was interesting seeing my first uh, my first Miranda July film. This was your first Miranda July film as well, yeah? Yes, it was. I, I had no idea she had this much body of work. We're looking at her IMDb right now, and that's exciting. Maybe I'll dive into that next. Well, it'll be a short dive because there's only two other films, really. Well, then. sometimes I have a short day. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what did you think of Kajillionaire? I was so worried about what I was going to feel about this film because it just, watching the trailer, it's one of those trailers that just made me feel uneasy even though it isn't a horror film. You know, there's no Mm. paranormal activity or anything happening, but it had the same sort of effect on me. Like if I see a horror trailer, I'm like, "Mm, mm, 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 mm." and that's how I felt about the Kajillion. Why is that? I I don't know. It was just a sense of, oh my God, this is going to be uncomfortable because I can tell that dynamic is about to fall apart and has been needing, needing to fall apart for quite some time. It's also really interesting because it's a daughter parent relationship both parents are there and i i don't know i don't think there's too many films that really dive into the parents child dynamic when the child is you know in her early 20s it's dog tooth honey that is one in a i hope a billion cases (laughs) okay (laughs) great but but jesus okay now I'm thinking about Dogtooth. Like, right. So anyway, like I'm always like concerned about, oh, what is this movie going to make me feel? What uh-huh. is it going to make me address within myself and my parents' relationship with me? So I liked it. I thought it was really interesting. There was something really whimsical about it. The way that Rachel, you know, kept moving. I think it, it helps that her hair is so goddamn long. It, yeah. you know, adds to this whimsy Yes. And and the fact that she's, I love that she's wearing track suits. <laughs> it's great. Yeah. Well, the thing is, you know, she has been raised as a partner in cons, not as a daughter per se. So she doesn't even know affection, right? There is a lot of parenting that did not happen mm-hmm. because the parents were just so busy living their con life, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah, this movie was another one that was in contention for the the main event at one point. Because I think it came out like, I don't know, I, I feel like it may have come out a month ago. Yeah, It does have a certain degree of left of center quality to it. This isn't, I mean, this is one of those movies, I feel like we've reviewed a movie like this not too long ago too, where... If you are expecting a con- uh, kind of a conventional style, a, a very likable style, you're you'll probably be thrown off a little bit by this movie. I can't remember what we we reviewed a movie that was just 
gotten horrible reviews on IMDb because it was not like the, a four quadrant type movie, you know, likable <laughs> movie, right? And I feel like Cajillionaire is kind of like that as well. Evan Rachel Wood is a great actress, uh, hands down. Uh, we, I don't see her often enough. I know she's been in Westworld. Uh, that that show didn't really grab me too much, but she's extraordinary. She's extraordinary here. She the choices she's made as an actress with her body language, her voice, and everything. She's really uh, developed this character. It's really really great. I don't necessarily think the movie is great, but it is really good. I, I think it's interesting how, like, where we meet this character in the beginning and where she ends up in the end. Just in terms of, like, her response to touch in the first place is is really interesting and kind of cool. It's de- There's definitely an arc in this film. It does have some sense of humor to it. I think Deborah Wiener is a little bit wasted because of the three principles of the four principles, really. She's kind of the one that kind of doesn't make as much of an impact, uh, which is interesting. But uh, at any rate, yeah, I, I, I recommend Kajillionaire, but it's not one of the best films of the year, I would say. I give it a 7 out of 10. How about you? Yeah, a seven sounds good. <laughs> Is our next film going to be a seven? Yeah, I don't know, love. <laughs> but I do know that it is Yes, God, Yes, which is a little indie. Oh, it might be a seven. There's <laughs> a little indie comedy that essentially is a coming of age uh, tale with a, a dose of religion uh, in it. A girl goes to a religious camp. And she becomes, like, very sexually aware and is wrestling with the morality of her religion versus her budding sexuality. The film stars uh, Natalia Dyer, who, am I mistaken? Is she not from Stranger Things? I, th- I think she might be. Oh, she's the, the sister? I think so, yeah. Of the three-kid family? Is not Will. Um, yeah, she's from so, Stranger Things. Yeah. Anyway, so it stars Natalia Dollar. She's the the main character, but it also stars someone from Veep. What, who is the guy from Veep in the in the film? So we can credit him appropriately. Timothy Simons, I believe, is the guy. He's the guy that's such a dick in Veep. Yes, uh, he's quite despicable in that in that show. He's really good in this film. And then there's also an actress from Crazy Ex Girlfriend. And, Jonah. Yeah, Jonah. He plays Jonah and Veep. But there's an actress from Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, uh, too, who has a very small role. Donna Lynn Champlin plays Mrs. Veda. Anyway, what I find interesting about this movie is, yes, it is funny, but it is also interesting how... Uh, we've seen a movie like... Okay, in 2004, there was a movie called Saved, right? That also kind of dealt with hypocrisy and religion and, and sexuality and religion. And, you know, that that movie kind of skewers Christianity, I, I think it is. And, and, and what's interesting is this movie takes a different angle on things. This movie actually is very respectful of the religion. It is in no way about satirizing Christianity. And, in fact, you actually have characters in the film who give, like, tell stories about how Christianity or Catholicism, I guess in this case, how religion was there for them when they had nobody or they felt alone or were going through a hard time. So I found that really quite refreshing, actually. But also at the same time, 
it is seeming to say we're all just trying to to figure things out and like we all have these feelings and none of us are worse than others what do you think about yes god yes wow i really like your review of that um i i think it's great that you mentioned saved saved does take things a little further because it is a a teenage pregnancy i think i prefer this film i look okay she's dealing with her sexuality right and her sexual satisfaction and call me crazy but i love movies that explore female masturbation because i don't think there's there's really anything out there that does that to my knowledge and it deals with it in a really you know it's not funny it's just is and it's confusing and you're trying to figure it out it's 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 a big part of growing up right and i think you're right i think it, there were times in this movie she goes on a a retreat a religious retreat to it's kind of like a it's a camp a, it's a breakthrough weekend oh. to address certain things and receive love and yet she's met with a lot of judgment and, and stuff she really is yes she's met with judgment so it doesn't shy away from the faults that we have as humans, mm-hmm. you know. And what I thought was great was there would be these moments on this retreat where I'd be like, hey, if there was a, a non-religious retreat like that while I was growing up, I would totally go on something like that because I love mm. having little breakthrough sessions, you know. Mm. And I think that's what I sorely missed when I was growing up. I, I grew up in South Africa where most of the schools are Christian-based. Yeah. Uh, Christianity is not my thing, man. Uh, but there would be these retreat opportunities. And it was really nice seeing the kids, seeing this movie in that setting. Mm-hmm. Because I felt like, to me, it kind of it, it got it on common ground. And I, I love the character. I think that Alice, played by Natalia, is wonderful and truthful. I think she has the biggest breakthrough on her retreat weekend because she actually addresses ish- issues. Hmm. And I like this film. I would, I would definitely want to own this. Really? What would you give it a, out of 10? Um, a solid 7. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's because I want three sevens. I don't know. <laughs> No, I mean, you know, it's a slight film in some ways. You know, it's a very, it's a debut, directorial debut. It's an indie film. At the same time, this is not something with the weight of never, rarely, sometimes, always. Uh, directed by Karen Maine, by the way. Oh, who, of Obvious Child. Oh, is this not um, her debut? That's great. Yeah, I no, she was the writer woman. of Obvious Child. Oh, okay. Let's get that clear. And this is her directorial debut. Well, I will totally support her. Yeah. You know? So that is Yes, God, Yes. I think we are in agreement. That is definitely worth checking out. However, the last film that we have for our Week in Review segment is Robert Zemeckis's The Witches, which is another adaptation of the Roald Dahl story. Of course, Shanna, we are big fans of Robert Zemeckis of late, aren't we? Uh, I'm thinking Good in terms God. of our conversations about <laughs> Welcome to Marwin. Yeah. And I think we are fairly lukewarm to his film The Walk, which was an, a remake of the documentary Man on Wire. 
With Joseph Gordon-Levitt? Yeah, that's correct. I was happy with that one. I was a little cool to it compared to the uh, documentary. So maybe I'm just thinking about myself. Okay. What did you think of <laughs> The Witches, which starred Anne Hathaway as the Grand High Witch and Octavia Spencer as the grandma and Stanley Tucci as the hotel manager? I am a huge fan of the 1990 version with Angelica Houston. Mm. And Rowan Atkinson. Mm. And I don't really care who else was in it because I just loved what they were doing. Mm. Yes, I love Angelica Houston. Anytime I get an opportunity to mention her name, I will. But I was looking forward to this Mm. at first. Okay. And then I started watching it. Oh, ouch. And I got upset. So here's what I liked about it. I like that Octavia Spencer was there, Anne Hathaway was there, and I like that, you know, that there's a, a surprise narr- narrator. And that was great. I mm. love that part. I love that they changed the race of the child. They went African-American, and I thought, you know what? There's no reason why it has to be a white kid. Let's, you know, that's perfect. Yeah, that's <clears> a good <throat> point. It does change the setting from England and Sweden to Ar- Arkansas. Is that right? Or Alabama. Alabama. Alabama, okay. And that's that 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 worked really well for me. In the sixties, right? Or yes. the fifties? I think it's the sixties. So there were things that really worked for me in this film. Mm-hmm. But then as the story started to go, I, I got more and more annoyed because there were certain things that I wanted that I didn't get, that maybe I don't know how to verbalize yet. I did like the design of the witch. I thought that that was pretty terrifying. Did you like it more than the Design by Jim Henson Company in 1990. I like Jim Henson's version a little more. Okay. I'm quite fond of Jim Henson's work. That so. That's a little more true to the book from what yeah. I remember also. Yeah, but this is scary. I mean, I don't know if I want my child watching this. Anyway. Well, I mean, these, these stories, we're all doll stories, are always have always been targeted to the upper grade school age, eight and up. And, you know, because he, like a lot of great creators, believes that uh, just a healthy dose of fear is great in storytelling. And I grew up with that, with his stories. And I thought that was really great, you know, because they do make an impression on you. I mean, there's things in the original Nicholas Rogue film adaptation uh, that made an impression on me, like the girl trapped in the painting and stuff. Uh, was there anything like that that you think would make as as equal an impression on someone growing up today in this one? I don't know. You know, I, I they they didn't do a girl in the painting type thing. They they went a different route. Right. Um, I don't know why I don't like this movie. <laughs> You, you because were, I, I've just mentioned all the little things that I do like about it. Yeah. So you were quite, quite upset. Oh, I now remember. I I have a concussion, so it's hard for me to remember. I I didn't like the end. Uh-huh. There was just something about the end that I didn't like, yeah. and uh, that's that. Well, we can't go into yeah. that necessarily, but I'm curious. Being vague, do you not like like the the ending in this film's more true to the book? than the 1990 version of the film. Is it those aspects that are truer to the original story that you dislike or something else? I think it's something else. Okay. There's, there's, there isn't really a room for redemption in this movie. Mm-hmm. And the other movie, there is room for redemption. Mm. And I prefer that because I am of the strong belief that 
the consumerism creation of the witch is there to hurt women and hurt people who really do practice, you know, one with nature pagan type rituals. Oh, you're not speaking so. specifically to this version. What you're talking about the general idea of witches as we know. Yeah. It. So, okay. and why I'm saying that is because there needs to be room for redemption. To me, you can't not have that, and I think that's why I was upset. Huh. Well, I will just say briefly before we move on. Anne Hathaway is really chewing it up here. You know, she might be the highlight of the movie in a way, just in terms of her performance. She's center stage in the freaking poster, and that's kind of how her performance is in the film. It's <laughs> like she's going big here, like really big in this film. I think that the movie tries introducing ideas in the first half about people, like the which is targeting poor kids that no one will will really like say anything about or really like quote unquote society won't notice let's say society won't notice right but it doesn't go anywhere with that at at all and it kind of drops or forgets that idea that angle that take on the story and that's a little disappointing because it feels kind of almost pointless for them to have brought it up in the first place then if they don't really do anything with it uh i think the movie's fine i i mean the the story itself is fairly slight once you get to the ballroom that's or the the hotel that's the rest of the story there's not a whole lot more a whole lot more meat to that bone you know and so it's fine as such I give the movie a 6 out of 10. I think I'm on a 5. The more I think about it, I'm on a 5. Fair enough. So that is our week in review. And now it's time to move on to the main event, which is our review of Zoe Lister-Jones' The Craft Craft Legacy. (laughs) I love her so much. Let's do this. I know it feels fast, but it's nice, isn't it? To have a family unit. Come on in to meet the boys. They're really excited to meet you. How are you feeling about school? You can meet some new friends. I know why the caged bird sings. Oh, wow, man. that is super nasty. Oh. All right, enough. Settle down. It happens to everyone. He's made us all cry at one point or another. You should come over after school. What is all this? This is a ceremony to celebrate you. Why would you celebrate me? Because you're out fourth. Just in time for first period. Half the battle of having powers is believing you do. That's why covens have always been important. If we can do that, what else can we do? We need to put a spell on Timmy. We don't want to hurt him though, right? She's right. The number one rule of the craft. If a person is a danger to herself or others, 
they will be bound. Careful, a lot of weirdos out here. We are the weirdos, mister. And that is from the trailer to The Craft Legacy, which is written and directed by Zoe Lister-Jones and stars Kaylee Spaney, Zoe Luna, Gideon Adlin, and most notably Michelle Monaghan and David Duchovny. Now, when we review a movie, we like to focus on the good, what we liked about a movie, what worked for us most about a film before moving on to the bad, because it's good to focus on the good before the bad, what didn't work for us, what were flaws about a film. And then we do a spoil we weigh whether or not the good outweighs the bad before moving into a spoiler discussion. This film, The Craft Legacy, is a sequel to the 1996 film that was about a teenage coven of witches. In this case, we have another teenage coven of witches, a new generation, so to speak. And they get up to dealing with bullies, people who harass them, and other things that I won't get into right now. Shanna, we rewatched the original craft to prepare for this, sort of, this, 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 this discussion, right? Well, let's, uh, and, let's and, rephrase that. We watched the craft legacy, and then afterwards we watched the craft just so that we would have a a meter of comparison. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I watched the original film not that long ago, so I mm. remembered it fairly well. But there's also elements that this movie picked up on that I didn't remember in the original, so it was kind of good to see that. My my take on the original craft is, you know, I came out when I was 16 years old. I liked it quite a bit back then. I thought it was kind of cool. It, it Over time, it's become more and more okay as a movie. Mm. It, ha- it definitely has its dated aspects to it. <laughs> uh, and there's other aspects that we'll get into a little bit later here that are unfavorable compared to this version, perhaps. But... You know, I, I loved Robin Tony. I loved Nev Campbell in it. Fruza Balk freaked me out in it. And um, Rachel True was Rachel True as far as I was concerned in, in, in that film. And it had more star power than this one. So I think that helped carry the the film a little more. Like the, these people are very talented in front of the camera and they're very charismatic in front of the camera. This movie, there's, I don't even know most of the cast right so you don't have I that star watch I, I totally hear what you're saying about the previous one but i feel like we're as sandra bullock says in a time to kill i think we're we're catching them as they're going up you know i think we're yeah. gonna we're gonna see these actresses in a lot more stuff i hope so what what were your thoughts on the original craft coming into this film and, and did i mean did you have any anticipation for this movie as a craft film so I, I wasn't entirely sure of what was going on. I thought at first that this was a reboot, a solid reboot, because the the trailer to this film is very much like the trailer to the other film, you mm. know? And so I was I was slightly worried. Like a remake. Yeah, mean. I was slightly worried, but also like, well, hey, if you're going to give 
some if you're going to give a person something to reboot the craft to zoe lister jones would be great but then i realized okay this is definitely a sequel so it's going to be okay Mm. which i preferred i thought this was a great reason to do a sequel i thought it was a great time in our lives to do a sequel Mm. it's this wonderful update of how teenagers could be what they could be facing what they could be dealing with not only with each other uh, knocking heads in high school halls but also within themselves and you know if you look at where we are now I mean you were 16 when you watched the first one I was I hit 12 when I eventually watched it for the first time I think we know so much more now that we're in our 30s, Mm. you know. And so it's lovely to see the sequel. With the original, I, I, you know, I watched it maybe a year or two ago. And I thought, oh, you know, this is definitely a scarier version of witchery and Mm -hmm. teen teen movie with witchery. And it's it's a little scary and it's a whole lot uncomfortable uh, with how, you know, bullies are in this film it's it's very very bad and particularly let's you're thinking of the christine taylor character the blonde who is completely unabashedly racist and yeah i mean she has one one or two lines it's two. so yeah yeah it's she's not a fully developed character let's say but yeah no she isn't but she definitely represents a certain part of the population right mm. so i felt like the craft is definitely a harsher version in some senses not only with what bullies are like but also with how women treat each other not only outside of the coven but within the coven as well there's a lot of female shaming Mm. and what i love about the legacy is they take those elements and they shut them down you know they're not just pointing them out they're actually giving verbiage to people of how to shut something like that down, which I think is very helpful. So I really appreciate the sequel. I find that I love the sequel much more than the original, especially after we watched the original the other day. I mean, the the first one. Yeah. So, okay. So anything else you want to say that, that was good about The Craft Legacy? Oh, yeah. So I love The Craft Legacy. I love the sisterhood that was within this and i love the representation of different individuals that was in this film we have a trans character we have men that are severely on the you know patriarchal ruling side but then also a little bit on the other end of the scale right men that are trying to make space for themselves uh with finding peace within who they are within feminine and masculine energies and i love that they acknowledge that in this film uh you know women coming to find their power and not being ashamed of anything that makes them a woman whether it be menstruation or makeup you know Mm. there's a nice spectrum happening i have found that the more i hear and see female empowerment motifs as i grow older the more i realize there isn't any healthy male empowerment motifs and so i'm really glad that the movie made room for both both energies to show their authenticity in here. So I think it's safe to say that we've mentioned this project in the past as an upcoming project. I think it's safe to say that most of our anticipation for this film comes from 
the person who is holding the pen and behind the camera, Zoe Lister-Jones, who wrote the script and and uh, was given the opportunity to direct this film. We're, we're big fans of her because of the film Band-Aid that she did. We've talked a lot about that film Band-Aid. Mm-hmm. And... She's the reason, I mean, she's the one that you're whooping up and is very excited about, right? So (laughs) I think that giving her the opportunity to do this take on this known property was very smart because I think she brings a lot to the table here. I'm, I'm actually, I looked at the reviews after watching the film. I was very surprised at how polarizing almost the reviews for this film are because I really feel like, you know, I mean, there's there's even a consensus out there that no one but the original fans will care about this movie. And I don't think that that is the case at all because I actually think this is a more interesting film than the mm-hmm. original film. I think I think it, it, it part of that is because the original is written and directed by men and so you do have a certain degree of there is there is a certain degree even though it is about women and, and puts women in the in the spotlight there is a certain degree of male gaze to it because you have like for some reason they're put into a private Catholic school and which really doesn't make any sense or, or figure much into that original plot, except it ends up, it results in them wearing schoolgirl outfits and you have them running and their breasts moving and stuff. So there is a certain degree of like, this movie benefiting from the mind of someone like Zoe Lister-Jones because you get more nuance, you get more interesting themes. This thing has themes, I think, uh, going for it, whereas the other one's more of a surface pleasure, right? Where one of the girls goes bad, becomes seduced by power and stuff. Well, this becomes a little more interesting than just a woman being seduced by power. Uh, I don't know if we want to get into that pre-spoilers, but uh, it definitely adds a layer to this that is very much of today, very relevant and very interesting. A take on this story. I think there is, it is also interesting because you do have Zoe Lister-Jones carry moment, which has to do with a period um, and, and, and how people respond to someone's period it is kind of, it, I, I find that interesting, but I would say this movie is more fun. I would say that the, the, the dynamics, the, the, the abilities and the powers like, there is more that is done here than what was done in the original, right? Just on a, on just on a fear, pure fun uh, surface level, and then on top of it, the fact that it's actually saying things too, I I think is very interesting and makes the film kind of one of the bigger surprises of the year. So I didn't even know if this movie was even going to come out this year. It kind of snuck up on me because mm-hmm. of the whole pandemic and everything. Everything was being delayed. I'm glad that it did. I like it quite a bit. Was there anything that you want to speak to in terms of the bad? You know, we talked about what we liked about the movie. It's good to weigh objectively. Was there anything, any weaknesses in the film? Look, I've watched this film twice already really taking advantage of the two-day rental period. Yeah. Um, and I might even have our our son watch this too. I don't know. I think I've still got like 
one more opportunity to shove another watching in. Mm. I wish that we had purchased it. But I keep fall- what I noticed is I keep falling more and more in love with this film. Look, it's not book smart. It's different. It's dealing with a whole bunch of stuff. I think it's in the, actually that's an interesting comparison. I think it's in the vein of Booksmart in in, in has ways. has a lot of similarities to it. As a matter of fact, I mean, like obviously they're two different films. One's yeah. like brilliantly funny, right? And yeah. one's not going that they're direction. Different. But there's a lot of similar feelings to them. So I guess what I'm trying to say is, I'm falling hard for this film. Yes, you are. Like, yes. You wanted to watch it again immediately, like immediately afterwards. Yeah. There's something just so beautiful and so freeing and empowering and eye-opening about this film. The only thing that I could think of that might have been better is is maybe we could have gotten one or two more pieces of information about the man representing the toxic masculinity of this film. That's maybe what I could have used more of. But the more I watch it, I realize it doesn't need that because we know what it is. We know what it's representing. Uh, I'm not sure I fully agree in that sense, but I will say that there are three primary boys in this film. They are potential what do you call stepbrothers potential stepbrothers potential stepbrothers yeah to the main character who i think is played by kaylee spaney if i'm not mistaken those three characters are not developed very well and i i do feel like aside from the youngest i had a hard time figuring out who was who because they they aren't mm. very well developed and and not there's a Jacob and there's an Isaiah and I'm like okay who's which one's Jacob and which one's Isaiah which one's the older one during the course of the film I I I would say those characters are probably the weakest and then Abe is the youngest one right uh, of of the film so I mean the movie's not about them but they are kind of just cardboard cutouts sitting at the table or standing in a room there's not a whole lot to them as characters i don't think we're so i think that i i I push you a little bit in that i think that abe is more developed than the others i think that each of them are representing something about the male experience and you know there's there's the the really toxic verbal one there's the toxic silent one and then there's the the diffuser i like to think i like to think Mm. that abe is the diffuser and i i like the representation of that i think yeah maybe you're right like we could have used one or two more scenes with them but what this movie does so well is it it compacts the story it doesn't waste time it is efficient i will give you that i just feel like maybe at the detriment to those characters but this is a minor criticism it does not it's not like oh this movie is terrible because the three main boys are not really characters but it is it is a flaw that's there besides that i you know i'm not sure if very much else stood out to me as as actual issues i think it does things better than what 
the original did. And yeah. I actually like like the score in it too. I don't know who did the score in this movie, but I found it like kind of catchy and and uh, kind of fun. So to me, there's definitely way more good than bad. Like the good outweighs the the bad by far. This do I think this is a great film? No, this is not necessarily a great film, but. Uh, this is a surprising it's a, it's surprising how good this film is and it's kind of interesting how it ties back to the original film the music appears to be by Heather Christian who is not someone I'm familiar with apparently she's done movies I've never seen before <laughs> uh, as a composer mostly short films so she's kind of uh, looks like she's kind of up and coming she did a series called the shivering truth anyway Shanna it sounds like you definitely feel like the good outweighs the bad in this case I think this is a great film I think it's better than the first one and I'm super proud of everybody that's in it especially Zoe creating it and I hope that they get to do more work on this you mean like sequels for the yeah. sequels or something bring it fucking on every halloween man <laughs> okay well then let's get into spoilers with that thought if you haven't seen the film we clearly recommend that you do jump ahead also to the film fave segment check out the timestamp in the show notes if you have seen the film join us for this spoiler discussion of the craft legacy are we giving it a score right now? Oh, did I not do that? No. Oh, okay. I give it a 7 out of 10. I give it a 9. Jesus Christ. Okay. <laughs> so, spoilers for the craft legacy right now. <laughs> Shanna, uh, there's one big thing that we need to get into, but, uh, well, I guess two big things we need to we need to talk about. Was there anything other than those two big plot reveals that you wanted to speak to spoiler-wise? Or should we just dive right on into them? Let's just dive right on into them. There is one thing I wanted to talk about, but let's do those two things first. Okay, so you basically were segueing into uh, sequels. and Yes, um, fucking please. That, in a way, circles back to how this movie ties to the original. So the, the, it basically is Kaylee Spaney. It turns out she's adopted by Michelle Monaghan, and she's actually Feruza Balk, Nancy's uh, daughter. How that happened, there's a lot of questions to be answered because Nancy ended the previous movie as being institutionalized. She was bound also, magic-wise, she was bound without her powers. So um, she was just absolutely fucking nuts at the end of that film. How she could have gotten pregnant sometime during the course of the past 24 years, I don't know. But in I'll tell terms, you how. Uh, you have a theory. It's the patriarchy. Oh, okay. That's what it is. That's not the theory you told That's, me before, but okay. I, look, I can get into it, but I'll let you finish. I don't want. <laughs> I don't know if I want to spend time theorizing. I, I, it just it opens doors to questions. But in terms of a sequel that you really want to see, another sequel, that is dangerous territory because Nancy was not the best uh, role model, right? For this, so for that character, Kaylee Spaney's character, Lily Lilith, to be like, "Hi, mom!" at the end, it's like, "Oh, that's not necessarily a good thing," in my mind. Ah, uh, because the last time we saw her, she was insane. I hear what you're saying. I do think that when it comes to bearing children, carrying children, 
developing fetuses, when you make a decision for that soon-to-be child, like, okay, this, this is not for me, I need to give this child up, I think it's showing that you have good character. You're like, I can't handle this, not only because of my situation. We don't know what it was at the time. We don't know if she was, she had a break from institutionalization or, or what, mm. which that's the theory I'm going with. I'm sure things will be revealed. But she made a good decision and there is room for, you know, repent. And that's what I was talking about earlier with the witches is you can't just have a witch in media mm-hmm. that doesn't have an opportunity to repent mm. because there will be an opportunity. Witches are by nature ones that look within themselves and see what can be better, even if they go on a little bit of a power rampage. So, look, she might have a few old habits that pop up. So I understand your concern, mm. but I think ultimately it's it's going to work out and it's going to be interesting, if anything else. There's so much you could explore with that, but well, sticking okay. to the, the end, I love how it ended. I, I love that she went back to her. I, I love how her friends were supportive. They were like, today's the big day. Yeah. You're going to meet your, your birth mother. And I don't get the sense that she's expecting a lot from her birth mother. I get the sense that Mm. she maybe wants to know about, hey, like, obviously I've inherited a gift from you Mm -hmm. and I want to know more about it, you know. And and you spoke about bounding and watching the first one and then the second one. Well, watching second first and then second again. I realized that binding can be a temporary thing. You can be unbound. Uh, not that I think that she got unbound, but what I'm getting at is you have power no matter what because the demon patriarchy character wanted Lily to give up her power. Mm-hmm. She still has it. Mm-hmm. I think you innately have your power. It's just on pause. Well, let's get into that, which is the other aspect of the movie in the, we're talking about in the spoilers, which is this movie is actually about the patriarchy and fighting against the, the patriarchy, which I thought was really interesting. And the patriarchy as represented by David Duchovny's character. Who, and his, most of his kids. Well, I was going to say, who has his own... He has his own group. He 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 attends. He apparently goes through the country or goes around the world giving talks and lectures and stuff, and supposedly having sessions with men. And mostly, it is about maintaining the alpha male patriarchal rule of society. He he literally says, which I found very interesting at the end: "We are your kings. We are your rulers." Right. And he's, you know, you are not in our image. And I found that really kind of cool and really interesting and, and very surprising that Zoe was able to infuse this and basically make the patriarchy the villain of the film. I thought that was really kind of cool and how a male character who shows like quote unquote weakness is 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 vulnerable shows vulnerability and is much more balanced and all sorts of things right and much more emotional is is considered a weak link in this society and needs to be taken care of 
all of that I thought was really, really interesting and really cool. I'm sure, Shannon, you had lots of thoughts <laughs> on, on this element of yeah. this development of the plot. Yeah. You know, when he said, we are not in your image, I was like, you come from our wombs. Sit down and shut the fuck up. <laughs> you know? Yes, I, I, I agree. I thought it was interesting. I thought it was good that they included it because if you look back on history, the patriarchy is what smashed women and, and brought women to a sort of genocidal type situation. So I'm glad that it got worked in and I'm glad they were fighting against it, you know, to the point where at the end, the four are one um, representing east, west, north, south, and they say, it's your turn to burn. I thought that was one of the most empowering statements of this movie. Mm. Look, it's totally up to interpretation, but if you know which history, you you know that it was a, a guise to put woman in a place of of subservience right yeah that's a great word so i'm like so fucking pumped inside that that is what they ended up saying Mm. i thought it was interesting the the two interpretations of power so the father figure he had said power belongs in the hands of those who understand it which is such typical patriarchy bullshit but then the mother says your difference is your power right. and it's the celebration of what could be your vulnerability or even your weakness it could be anything it doesn't matter and i just thought it was interesting that we had those two things coming up against each other and i like that there was this toxicness to the masculine energy within this film when he calls out people being men being weak yeah But then there was also this moment of giving space to men who want to talk about things. Like, you know, Timmy was so vulnerable. He spoke about, well, I like guys and I like girls too. And this is, to be clear, this is not a space given by the the father figure, the the David Coveney character. In contrast, this is given by the coven. Yes. And it's almost as if Timmy. You know, if things kept going, it's almost if, as if Timmy could have been part of the coven, you mm. know, which is amazing to see because I think men who want to be with their feminine energy or more balanced even, they don't know where to go. They don't know that there's space for them. They're uncertain. And yeah. I think that this, this movie does a great justice uh, with that. And just in like conclusion of my thoughts, I think the best part of this film that is different from the first one is that even when people within your circle fuck up, you don't just completely abandon them. You get back and you be with them. Well, that and... that, well, that wasn't necessarily true, actually. The, the girls did actually distance themselves from Kaylee Spaney's Lily and, and she... When she tried to talk to them, their first reaction was, I don't think that's a good idea. So there, there was, it, it, it wasn't allowed to continue because the plot required it not to. But there was a degree of, yeah, she needs to be out. She screwed up and uh, we're done with her. Here's the thing. I understand that. But at the end of the day, they were there for her. And they said, sorry, they owned up to these different levels of feelings and different levels of accountability. They're not just trying to bind her. They say we should we should all be bound, you know, so there's this 
there's this accountability that is not just pushed upon Lily's character, but amongst all of them. And I think that's what creates a stronger sisterhood. Yes, they had to have a message from Timmy on the Ouija board to to have confirmation of what was going on. And they totally, the way the story was moving, totally get it. But at the same time, they needed boundaries. They weren't ready to speak to Lily again. And the three of them had you know, their their friendship is so much older than their friendship with Lily, so it makes sense that they mm. were sticking together. Yeah. There is a a, a, a bit of realism there, you mm. know. But what's great is they're not completely and totally shaming her, chasing after her to make her commit suicide like they did oh, in the yeah. first one. No, you're right. It's it's a completely different tone yeah. is what I'm trying to get at. And the end of the day they are there for each other and that's what i've found with my circle of friends is we are so busy i feel so bad when i don't get back to them or or if i've done something that i know that's hurt them or um you know struck something emotionally within them Mm -hmm. and there is there's a there's a pause that happens and then there's an apology that happens and then there's and we're going to pick pick right up again and and that's what I love about this film that I just wanted to conclude with. Yeah, no, those are really excellent points and absolutely accurate and fair points. And I agree with you. It is it is stronger than in the the previous film. Uh, I, I think I, again, it's very interesting sometimes to see how a man will have a take on a, pro- mm. a story or a property versus how a woman will have a take on something. And I think that this is this is a really good example of the that contrast and. And I, I think you, you illustrate the points very well. I think it's a great compare and contrast opportunity, not only with uh, the interpretation of what happens if a female's directing versus a male directing, but also of its time, right? Mm. I mean, you have one scene in this movie. That, yes, we have this wonderful trans woman character, but we also have another trans woman, I, I believe. Yes, being bullied. Yeah, and and I'm leaving room for correction. She's being bullied, and as this is happening in the hallway, Lords is walking by and is seeing this bullshittery at its highest level, and she does a little wink-wink, and all of a sudden the bully has a pride anorak on, and it makes the, the trans... Uh, girl kind of giggle and laugh and it's it's wonderful because now the power is not only being used for what they want but to help others too so again another element that's better in this film very good uh have you seen the craft legacy let us know what you think email us at the gibson review at gmail.com but again if you haven't we highly recommend you check it out give it a shot All right, now it's time to continue all this witchery (laughs) with our final segment, Film Faves. Film Faves, for those who aren't familiar, is a segment inspired by a feature on the Gibson Review blog wherein we count down our 12 favorite movies around a particular topic. In this case, we'll be counting down our 12 favorite movies which movies now the idea of this generally is to give you a sense of our taste in film uh, but also hopefully expose you to titles that maybe you have not heard of or seen before and to that end we actually try to point you in the direction of certain platforms there's a bajillion different streaming subscription platforms out there we focus on netflix amazon prime hulu HBO Max, because HBO Now isn't really much of a thing, and DC Universe also is transferred over to HBO Max. 
Disney Plus and what, Shanna? And now Apple TV because we have that. It's so exciting. All it right, is so a fantastic platform, by the way. One would think that opens the door to pretty much every movie being available. That's not always the case still, though. A lot of times you just have to rent a movie on Amazon or something else in order to find it. Uh, in this episode, as I mentioned, we'll be focused on which movies. Now, this was a hard list to actually make. And, and again, I was reluctant because it's like, well, it's not going to be Halloween when this hits, but this is the best, like... Best pairing Witches for a list. are so. an all-year-round thing, people. Yes, ma'am. However, it was a hard list to make because even though I came up with a list of like two dozen-plus movies where a witch is a central character that has more than one or two scenes, right, is a main focus in a plot, it's another thing to come up with that list and another would be like, yeah, these are favorites of mine. So we struggled a little bit, both of us, right? Um, struggled a little bit. So we decided to make a combined list of 12 favorite movies. Shannon, was there any thoughts that you wanted to say, speak yeah. to this? So um, I just battled from the perspective of, you know, is it a favorite or isn't it a favorite? Am I just like adding it in there just because? And I didn't want when I heard that you were battling, I was like, well, I don't want to just force a list. I definitely had eight favorites, mm -hmm. but then it was there were four left, you know. So I'm glad that we combined. So I'm going to start us off with that. I'm going to start us off with a movie. Like, you can't have a witch movie or list without a movie with the word witch in the title. So... I thought I would start off with, as our, as our 12th favorite, 2015's The Witch by Robert Eggers, which stars uh, Anya Taylor-Joy, who for a lot of people was their first time seeing Anya Taylor-Joy before she got a little bit bigger in her roles, like in Split. This is a, a movie that takes place in like the 1800s or something, you know, and... It's about a family that is dealing with the grief of a loss of a, of a member of their family and also like whether or not they're being terrorized by a witch or is one of them a witch. And, and, and it's, it's very interesting. It's one of the best horror films of the 2010s. And it's it's quite fascinating, uh, very unnerving, artfully done. It was, I think, it was Robert Eggers' debut film, if I understand correctly. And it is a one hell of a debut film up there with James Wan. Well, up there with a, another movie I'll talk about in a minute here in terms of its quality and, and superiority. And so, yeah, The, the, the Witch is our is our 12th favorite witch movie. Shanna, why don't you tell them about our 11th favorite? Our number 11 is my number 6. It's spurted away from what you might think is 2001, but really it's 2002. What? Uh, and <laughs> those two years just blur together. It's well, so weird to I'm keep them straight. Sorry to mention it, but <laughs> like it's one of those things that I constantly get corrected on, even though it's 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 there 
on IMDb. And so in the USA, it's a 2002 release. So there we go. And Which is what we go by. It's happily available on HBO Max as well as all of other, all the other Hayao Miyazaki films. Now's my opportunity to watch Nausicaa. So coming back to Spirited Away, this is about a... 10 year old girl who is moving to the suburbs with her family that her father recklessly drives through a forested area and they go wandering into this sort of sacred place and they're trapped in this spirit realm and from the spirit realm she not only learns to be independent sure of herself and gain confidence she also it comes across two witches, twins, one representing, you know, the more dark side and one representing the light side. And not only does she find herself in this film, she helps other characters find themselves too. So she and herself kind of has these little witchy powers, you know, and everybody finding their higher selves. Very cool. My number 10 is... The Wizard of Oz, the classic film from 1939, of course, available on HBO Max. Of course, this is the film that has Glenda the Good Witch and the Wicked Witch of the West, right? Who exacts revenge for her sister, the Wicked Witch of the East, death at the hands un knowingly by Dorothy Gale, played by Judy Garland. Uh, this film is still to this day, I don't know, it's what, 80 years old now? Uh, a great film, a delightful film, one of the best family films. And, and it's just, it's got so many wonderful charms. And the music is delightful. You know, it's the wizard, it's fucking Wizard of Oz, so... <laughs> <laughs> you don't need me to tell you it's you know it's Go a good movie classic so it is number 10 on our list though our number nine is from within the usa 1993 film it's available on disney plus something i always forget that this is a disney film it's Hocus Pocus, starring that wonderful trio sarah jessica parker bette midler and kathy najimi Kathy and Jimmy, uh, as well as Thora Birch. I'm a huge Thora Birch fan. I wish I wish there was more of her acting. Mm. Uh, anyway, there's these three witches who are representing the darker side of witchcraft, and uh, they are from the 17th century. They were hung, but don't worry. They did a spell before they died, and they are back, baby, and they're here to suck the lives out of the little children so that they may themselves live forever in a youthful looking state. Uh, it's, it's hilarious. They come back on Halloween where things are completely different. Children dressed up as little monsters and, you know, the devil isn't really the devil. <laughs> he just looks like he's dressed up as the devil. Uh, it's a lot of fun. There, there's even a zombie. Uh, what, what is it? It's not a zombie. It's like a Frankenstein. What is it? Oh, it's a zombie. I don't remember that well. Oh, okay. Well, there's a lot of fun in this film. A lot of laughs. Go ahead and check it out if you've never seen this before. Who the hell are you? So, the next film. I, I'm actually surprised that one was so low on your list. I expected that to be in your top three. Uh, but the next film is also a Disney film. It is 2020's Mulan. Available on Disney Plus. What a great pick. Which we were actually supporters of. We actually liked what was done with this remake. 
Uh, you can check out our review a few episodes back, actually, to hear more about that. But there is a witch character played by Gon Lee in the film, and she acts as a sort of counterpoint to, to Milana, this 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 woman who doesn't fit into society because she's she's powerful, right? And so a she patri- knows her worth. The patriarchal society has kind of rejected her, but she joins up with the main villain of the story to try to, I guess, um, insert herself in the society and kind of rebuild a new society, right? And so, yeah, Gon Lee is really great in it. We were big fans of the film in general for a lot of reasons, one of which is the interesting thematics that it has compared to the animated version from 1998. So if you haven't seen it because maybe you heard some bad word of mouth, we actually recommend you do check it out. I think it's now, if it's not now, it's in a month. It'll be free on Disney+. Plus. That's Mulan from this year. Shanna, can you tell us a little bit about the next two picks on our list? Our number seven is... The Craft Legacy, Bitches and Witches. We just talked about this. It's a great film. I love it so much. Talk about empowerment of one's true self and higher self and acknowledgement of female and masculine energies and how they are both useful to all of us. I don't think I can say much more about this film after talking about it for about an hour. Fair enough. So there it is. Go check it out. It's totally worth purchasing, especially if you're into witch films. Just go ahead and do the 25 bucks instead of the 20. I highly recommend that. Our number six is The Witches from 1990, the Angelica Houston one. We're not going for a a trio of 2020 films? No. (laughs) We're going to break that? We're going to break it. All right. So, you know, a young child stumbles across the witches' convention. And uh, at this convention, the witches are scheming and planning how they're going to not only suck lives out of children, but just straight up eliminate them. So different kind of witch here that we're dealing with, but also really fun and kind of has this, like, whimsy... Not whimsy, like... What's a darker version of whimsy? Oh, like, um, hmm. I don't know. It's quirky. It's, it's sort of quirky. quirky. Okay, it's got this great quirkiness to it. It's definitely, you know, of this like Jim Henson time. And uh, Angelica Houston is amazing in this. I think she's the best part. That is definitely fair to say. Number five, I believe, comes from the year 2013. It is from Are you sure? James Wan. You can check me on that. It is from James Wan. It is The Conjuring. Now, I don't... James Wan, he he had made a name for himself with the Saw films, which not a fan of. But The Conjuring is an absolute masterpiece of of horror filmmaking. Uh, The the witch aspect of this is the thing... The the spirit that the family, the the subject of the film, may be terrorized by seems to be the, the spirit of a witch. As it happens, uh, this film is absolutely brilliantly f- uh, effective. It's amazing how it gets away with so much with so little. It really doesn't 
need much more than a door creaking in order to really put the chill in your spine. And it's a, it's a fantastic film. That is The Conjuring, our fifth favorite witch movie. Shanna, what is our fourth favorite witch movie? Our fourth favorite is from 1987, and that is The Witches of Eastwick, starring Cher, Susan Sarandon, Michelle Pfeiffer, and Jack Nicholson. This this is also quirky, but has like tiny horrifying elements to it, but also hilarious moments. And this is kind of this acknowledgement of... Uh, <laughs> You know, if three women are into the same guy, like, yeah, you're going to butt heads. You're going to be a little, like, catty. But they still come together, you know. Again, it's this, you know, sisterhood first, dicks lost, you know. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm just feeling... Feeling weird here. Uh, this I did not realize is directed by George Miller, which is, like, all the Mad Max wonderfulness yeah. so i'm like hey you brought mad max back mm-hmm. want to bring some witches uh, <laughs> like i will totally be cool with that look i think you this would is, you think that movie should be remade which is I, I no 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 not remade ah. just like added on to ah, you know okay. much i i prefer the add-on gotcha. you know which i feel is you know mad max fury road i feel like is an add-on yeah yeah you yeah. know and i i think hey, George Miller knows how to do it, so let's throw some money there. Maybe we can have another Witches Bitches movie next year. Um, I, I think it's an underrated Witches film. I wa- have watched this since I think I was 11, even though I didn't understand a big part of it at that age. I still loved that there was this spectrum of good to bad being, you know, yin and yang being mm-hmm. represented within each character. Very cool. Well, we have three more movies to go. I'm going to talk about the next two. Number three is 1999's The Blair Witch Project. Of course. Starring Heather Donahue, and I think his name is Josh Leonard is also in there. Uh, I talked about this film, I think, when we did our favorite 1999 movies. I feel like we talked about it in another context as well not too long ago it feels like it anyway because i feel like i watched it only a few months ago or something this is of course the movie about the documentary crew that goes into the woods the blair the blair woods i don't know they go into the woods uh, trying to learn more about the rumored blair witch the legend of the blair witch and it doesn't go well for them uh, great film. I think it's the granddaddy of the found footage genre. It is still the best of the found footage genre. And uh, it, 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 it mixes character dynamics and growing frustration with some truly scary scenes. And what's scary about it is you can't see what they see. So your imagination just balloons to what could possibly <laughs> be going on. So I love it. It's 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 <laughs> masterful filmmaking in that sense. Watching this at age ten was absolutely terrifying. I can imagine. I, I could not go into a room by myself for about three months. It was terrifying at the age of eighteen or nineteen. I can only imagine what it was <laughs> like so for bad. a ten year old. <laughs> The next film, our second favorite witch movie, is Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves from 1991, which which features a supporting character 
who is a witch, who is the woman who supposedly raised the Sheriff of Nottingham. It's who Sheriff of Nottingham goes to for advice and help and and direction and what he should do in his plans and stuff. And she is very creepy and very wicked. Uh, And she has this this voice to her. I don't know who the actress was who uh, played this character. I don't know if, Shanna, you're able to find that really quickly or not. But she was very effective uh, and occasionally chilling and even... Even in the her final couple of scenes, uh, kind of imprints an unforgettable image in your mind. And uh, that actress, by the way, is Geraldine McEwen, who is not an actress I am familiar with, but she played Martiana. So that's Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves from 1991. Shanna, do the honors, please. What is our favorite witch movie? Oh, my gosh. So I just found out something about this movie that I'm so excited to to share. Anyway, our number one is from 1998, and it is Practical Magic. Now, why do I absolutely adore this film? It's because of not only the story, but who it stars. It's an all-star cast. It's Sandra Bullock, Nicole Kidman, Stockard Channing, Diane Wiest, and get freaking this, even Rachel Wood. She's the daughter. Did you know that? The daughter with the red hair. No, because we've seen that movie shit. way more times I'm than I'm losing me. my fucking marbles here. All right. Whoop, whoop. It also stars Aiden Quinn and Mark Feuerstein <laughs> yes. and Goran Vizhnik. Yes, I, I do I do like Aiden Quinn. I, I, I found a show that he's in lately, but I do wish that I saw him in more stuff. I absolutely loved him when I watched this movie for the first time. Anyway, this is the story about... A family that in elementary is what Aidan Quinn is in. This is the story about a family of witches that carry a curse. The woman of the family will inevitably fall in love and their lover will perish. And it's all about not only sisterhood and family and being running towards who you are and and being okay with who you are in front of other people, but also about breaking the curse, kind of taking those those past traumas or inherited DNA and kind of changing them up is my interpretation of this film. And uh, if you love this film as much as I do and want to know more about the character's the, the aunts, you can go and find Alice Hoffman's books and you will actually find a prequel to this film. But what are your favorite witch movies? Let us know. Uh, email us at thegibsonreview at gmail.com. That'll about do it for this episode of The Movie Lovers. Hopefully you got some great recommendations from this episode to seek out. Uh, Shanna, before we talk about the next episode, why don't you share with people where people can find you online? You can find me on Instagram, Shanna underscore Paxton underscore photography. And on Flickchart, you can find me at Spellbinding A. Mm. Spellbinding, which is (laughs) so cool. (laughs) It's not as up to date as I'd like, but there we are. I'm sure you're working very hard on updating that. Oh, yes, sure. Yeah, (laughs) with the multitude of things I have to do. Uh, So, thegibsonreview.com. That's the main site. That's the blog. 
uh, go there. You'll find all episodes of, you should find all episodes of the movie lovers to be available to stream from the blog itself. Uh, as well as a new feature that I wrote up, do check out Universal Classic Monsters a review. I go through. It's such a great article. Thank you. It's very kind of you. I go and review 10 of the biggest Universal Classic Monster movies and then rank them. I appreciate it. If you check that out, that is available on the Gibson Review. Dot com. You can also go and follow us on Facebook slash the Gibson Review and Instagram. The Gibson 99 is where we're active there. I do polls, bracket polls on the story on Instagram. Most recently, I think what we had was the result of your favorite movie soundtracks, which was in honor of one of our previous episodes where we reviewed Bill and Ted Face the Music. Well, it took a while, but it turned out your favorite movie soundtrack is Pulp Fiction. Oh, nice choice, guys. Great job. So right now, it's probably going to be over in the next couple of days, way before this hits your ears, but we'll also be, we're also doing a poll on your favorite Universal Classic Monster movie. All right, did eight movies. It's down to four right now, and... uh I'll update you with how the results of that went so far. And so you can go there and then um, find me also flick charts, the Gibson 99. So next episode, I have just decided we are going to try. I hope we have access to we're going to try to review David Fincher's newest movie, Mank, which has a lot to do with Citizen Kane. And what we'll do is we'll pair that movie about what is arguably the greatest movie of all time with our list of our favorite movies of all time, thus ending our aftershocks of our journey going backwards through time. If you haven't heard, you go back to previous episodes. We've been spending the past three years going backwards through time, counting down our favorite movies for each year and each decade led to some Aftershock episodes, the past few episodes with our favorite directors, favorite discoveries, favorite actors and actresses, favorite years in movies. Now it is time to answer the question many of you are asking. For God's sakes, man, what is your favorite movie? <laughs> so we will answer that. It's, it's, it's an uphill battle trying to figure that out, but we will try to have it done for the next episode. Look for that right before Thanksgiving, I think, on Tuesday, November 24th. Yay, Thanksgiving! In the meantime... This is Jeff and Shanna saying keep loving the movies. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> Did I do it right?